It's sort of like the Virginia Woolf quote, anonymous was a woman. It's The Takeaway. I'm Todd Zwillick. And last week, we introduced you to a project from The New York Times to make some unsung women in history better known. It's called Overlooked. It's a collection of new obituaries for important women from history who never got commemoration in the pages of the New York Times. You can find last week's conversation about that project at thetakeaway.org. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll continue talking to the writers behind these new obituaries. Today, Amy Podnani, she's digital editor for obituaries at the New York Times, and she's written an obituary for Mary Ewing Outerbridge. Podnani thawed up the Overlooked project after stumbling upon Mary Outerbridge's name for the very first time. Mary Outerbridge was credited with bringing tennis to the United States in 1874. She was in Bermuda uh, visiting relatives when she saw some British Army officers playing the game, and she was so entranced. So she decided to carry with her a net some rackets and some balls back with her, and she actually got stopped by customs agents. They were like, what is this stuff? We've never seen this before. This net is too big for fishing. And so they confiscated the gear, and she ended up asking her older brother to get it back for her. He worked in shipping circles, so he was able to use his influence. And so she set up the first, what was believed to be the first court on Staten Island that spring of 1874. Uh, There's been some debate over whether she really was the first because the game was growing very popular at the same, all at the same time. All these people were introducing it to the United States and setting up courts. But she was definitely a pioneer of the sport in the U.S. Well, how long did it take for tennis to grow in the United States before things like the U.S. Open and, and sort of an American fascination with tennis took root? It didn't take that long after that. People were really excited about the game. I mean, it was very different in the beginning. It was very slow, and people were chatting a lot between shots. The first tournament was held only a few years later in, I believe, 1881. So at that point, people became really interested in it competitively, and that's when you start to see the progressions. The first regulatory board was formed that year. And then the uniforms began to change and the players became more serious. So tennis in Mary Outerbridge's day was that old tennis of white clothes, dresses on the court, big hats, and sort of a very little movement, sort of polite uh, tap, tap of the ball back and forth. Things changed. Uh, oh, yeah. Things definitely changed. They, those hats, they would have fake fruits and birds and flowers in them. It's amazing they could keep it on their heads while they were playing. So there's a bridge on the outskirts of New York City called the Outer Bridge Crossing. Uh, how did you come across Mary Outerbridge's story? So I was actually researching a different possible obit. That's one of the tasks that I have day to day on the obituaries desk is to help research different submissions we get to determine whether the person is worthy of a New York Times obituary. And I was looking at a woman in the tennis world when I came across a website that was talking about Mary Outerbridge and crediting her with bringing tennis to the U.S., So that's really how that began. And I used to live on Staten Island myself, so I knew of the Outer Bridge Crossing. But I always thought it was a geographical term, Outer Bridge. I never realized it was named after a person. But as it turns out, the Outer Bridges are a very influential family. They helped introduce tennis to the U.S. And Mary's brother was the first head of the Port Authority of New York. So the bridge was named after him. How does a paper like the New York Times even today sit down and decide who deserves a real obituary write-up 
and who doesn't. And I don't mean the paid ones where people can pay to have obituaries for their loved ones. Those are fine. How do editors on the obit desk sit down and decide uh, who's, who's worthy? Yeah, it's an interesting process. So we get submissions from a number of ways. Readers will call us or email us. We'll find out about people through social media or by reading other newspapers, looking at other websites. So we get this list of submissions and we look at them every morning and we talk about them. We think about what their contributions were, who they were recognized by, how big a mark on society they made, and we do our homework. Sometimes we talk to people who knew them, we'll read past newspaper articles, we'll dig through what's called our morgue, which is our archives in the basement, and we'll pull out their file if they have one and reread everything, and we'll decide if they made news while they were alive, then chances are their death is news as well. Now, that decision process has yielded a stunning statistic that's been part of this overlooked package that the New York Times has been running. That statistic is 80 percent, eight in 10, eight in 10 obituaries in the history of the New York Times mails. What about going forward and avoiding the next time where you have to go back and, and make good on people who were forgotten? What's, what's changing in the way the New York Times covers obituaries? Yeah, it's a very fair question. So there are a couple of things. We have a new gender editor that we just hired, and we also have a team called Race Related that's relatively new. And the goals of these teams are to infiltrate the entire newsroom and try and remove that white male voice of the New York Times and hopefully of media in general and really make every single section of the paper think differently and adjust their tone. So they're not relegated to one corner of the newspaper. They really are responsible for looking at every single aspect of our coverage. Then there are also things that we can do independently in the obituaries desk. And one thing we're exploring is reaching out to our foreign correspondents. Since there are eyes and ears in these far-flung parts of the world, they can tell us about other people we might be missing who could be women or people of color, people who have made achievements that we wouldn't hear about otherwise. And so I think that's that's among the things we're doing. We're trying really hard to think a little differently. You know, Amy, you think about the tennis megastars, the women of today, Serena Williams, of course, Venus Williams and others, American heroes. And you look back on the history of Mary Ewing Outerbridge, who couldn't have known when she tried to smuggle a tennis net and some rackets into America that it would spawn uh, this generation of stars. But the obituary now really, really helps connect it. It does. I think that there were some women early on in the sport who may have actually pointed to Mary Outerbridge's involvement uh, when men were trying to push women out. They, they would say, you know, women shouldn't perspire. What about giving childbirth? You know, participating <laughs> in a sport might affect you then. You know, your health is very important. And women said, no, you know, a woman was at least one woman was responsible very early on for us even having access to tennis in the United States. We want to play. And so in 1887, the very first women's tournament was held. 1887, that's way earlier than women were involved in most sports. Well, it's a remarkable story and a fine, fine obituary for a woman overlooked largely by American history. Amy Padnani is digital editor for obituaries at the New York Times. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you. 
We have a link to Amy Podnani's New York Times obituary for Mary Outerbridge on our website at thetakeaway.org. And we've been hearing from so many of you with your nominations for women who never really got their due and deserve more recognition today. Sophie Germain, French mathematician. Got to give her a shout out. Unbelievable. She solved a very important problem in heat transfer using methods of all the great French mathematicians in the late 1770s. She's like fantastic. Yet another nomination for our version of the Overlooked Project. Keep giving us your nominations for Overlooked. Add your voices to this show. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. I'm Todd Zwillick. This is The Takeaway. The Takeaway.